everybody, and this is Mike Schrage here in Joplin, Missouri with GMPI, Good News Productions International. Hope you're having a great day, and this is another episode of Faith Greater Than Fear. Since the lockdown, since the pandemic started in March, we've had opportunity after opportunity to talk to men and women near and far about their walk with Jesus and their faith in him and what they're doing for the kingdom. So today it's a real honor. It is really, I mean that heartfelt honor to have Dave Stewart with us. Dave, welcome. Thank you, Mike. It's great to be here, man. Absolutely. So tell our audience where you're from and what your role is and a little about your family. Sure. I'd be glad to. Um, yeah, I am at Compassion Christian Church in Savannah, Georgia. And uh, I've been on staff here now for a little over 17 years, which is kind of amazing when I think about it, how fast time has gone by, you know. Um, but uh I, my, I'm married to my wife, Lynn. You know, we've been married now for 38 years. I have three sons, two daughters-in-law, and three grandkids that we love. And so life has rolled on and life is good here for us. So uh, just blessed to be at a, a great church, you know, a great church over a long haul. Well, tell us some about the size of the church and your role in it, exactly. Yeah, well, I guess when we talk stuff like that, uh, Pre-COVID, is that what we're talking? Or? That's what we're talking, yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, so our church uh, was averaging about 8,500 a weekend in attendance uh, at six different locations. We have six campuses in three towns, uh, and then we also have a Latino ministry that has its worship on the weekends, too. Um, you know, our church is... Uh, is it's been kind of like, a, I, I think in a lot of ways, we just have a heart for outreach. It's, it's really interesting to see. And I guess it's one of the great blessings for me is to realize that, um, you know, I used to use the analogy of like, I felt like as an outreach guy, I was pushing a stalled car and I had, I was the one who had to get it pushed and run around and jump in and pop the clutch, you know, and now it's not so much. Now it's a lot more like uh, I'm the guy hanging on the back bumper going, wait for me, I'm your leader, you know? <laughs> so yeah, I, I love this church and, and proud to be a part of it. Well, the name that you had, even the change years ago, now indicates some of that heart, both for local and for global, I think. And so you've had a real journey, you and your wife, Lynn. Um, and uh, just maybe tell us a little about that as you feel to care to, and then how that then transitions into COVID and what, uh, what, what experiences your family's had during this time. We've all had them. What have been yours and what have you learned? Yeah, I certainly would start by saying I know that we don't have we don't have the corner on uh, a lot of struggles through this thing, but we've had we've had a rough time. Um, I kind of half jokingly say I thought 2019 was the roughest year of my life, and then 2020 came along. But basically, uh, in you know, I guess to set it up a little bit, um, because of my role as the uh, now as the pastor over an outreach team here at the church. Uh, you know, a lot of what I do is working with strategic partnerships, national-led partnerships around the world, um, using my background um, in business to kind of, you know, I, I love things like strategic planning and determining, you know, how do you define success in environments? Um, you know, what is the tangible return on investment for what we're committed to, those kind of things, um, helping everybody to see their own role. And so that was a lot of what I've been doing for years, and a lot of travel to a lot of countries. Um, 
And then all of a sudden in 2019, that stuff just kind of came to a screeching halt. Uh, my wife has been diabetic um, for 30 years. And, um, you know, a lot of that stuff caught up with her in 2019. And so um, she started experiencing several different uh, health problems. Um, she was in the hospital five different times, a couple of times in intensive care. Um, and it kind of culminated in August when she had a stroke, August of 2019. Um, that was a tough time. She's actually doing pretty well with that, but it changed a lot for both of our roles. It, it produced some daily challenges with daily tasks and things. Uh, it, it changed my role as a caregiver. And, and again, I really haven't traveled since then. Um, but 2020 started and um, things got tougher. And in February of 2020, my mother, who was 86 and completely independent, living alone, driving herself anywhere she wanted to go, got in between two grown men who were having a very heated argument and she tried to get them to calm down. And one of the men grabbed her and threw her to the ground. Uh, she hit her head on the concrete, suffered a brain bleed and um, ended up having brain surgery, had broken arm, nerve damage, and began um, a torturous journey, which a lot of people have experienced this year, of having a, a loved one in the hospital when you can't be there beside the bed, and you're trying to do the best you can <laughs> to care for them, at the same time, uh, keep the hospital staff on your side from a distance. <laughs> And we all know how important advocates are when you have someone you love in the hospital. And it's just a tough time. And so I always like to just mention here, uh, as tough as that was, I also want to just acknowledge all the amazing people we encountered in three different hospitals that nurses and the doctors and everybody in between, how incredibly compassionate they were on the whole. Um, which again is it's not, yeah, they were above and beyond. Let me just put it that way. Okay. And so I, I sincerely respect that and everybody who's doing that amazing work for us these days. Um, but uh, in June, the middle of June, my mother passed away um, suddenly, unexpectedly. But I do believe a lot of it had to do with just kind of <laughs> wilting away in that hospital bed, you know. Um, and then uh, a month later, my closest cousin died unexpectedly. Two weeks after that, my younger brother tragically died. We weren't expecting it, it just happened. Um, and so I had to do my mother and my brother's funeral, which my mother's, of course, was the hardest funeral I've ever had to do. Um, plan most of it, you know, take care of all the details, all this thing. And I really, to be honest with you, Mike, I thought that that was about as bad as it could get right there, you know? at that point. And so like now we're at, uh, we're at the beginning of August at that point, okay? Um, so then I, uh, my wife and I decided to get away for a few days. Let's just go away. And I had this great idea. We'll go to my mother's hometown, this little tiny town in Northern Minnesota. And we'll, we'll just relax. It'll be therapeutic for me. You've never been there. And then our 30 uh, year old son, Kyle, uh, decided he wanted to go with us. And we were more than thrilled to have him go along with us. He'd never been there. We flew up to Minnesota, rented a car, drove four hours north of Minneapolis, and he started getting sick. And uh, the next day he was even sicker. And at that point we're like, uh, we probably should go back home. 
by the third morning, we knew we weren't going to be able to get on an airplane. Uh, and so that began a journey of driving from southern Minnesota directly to Savannah, Georgia, getting my straight to the emergency room, take my son inside. Uh, and that night he was in ICU. And the next night we got a call in the middle of the night from the doctor in ICU saying, Mr. Stewart, we got to get your son on a ventilator right now. We're very worried about him. And, um, you know, that was the dark moment right there. It was like, you know, when you, when you fear losing a loved one, it's one thing, but when you've experienced a lot of up close and personal actual death recently, and then it's like your son's life's on the, on the edge. It was, um, it was intense. It was really intense. And so that began a season there. I don't know how far you want me to go with the whole story, but um, that's when it got tough. Let me put it that way. <laughs> okay. Because um, we had ridden together for 20 hours in a car. Okay. And, uh, you know, straight through. And, you know, uh, he had it. I was just getting ready for me and my wife to get it. And especially what I was concerned about was my wife with all of her pre-existing health problems. Um, well, Kyle was on the ventilator. Um, several days after that, I started getting a fever. Then I tested positive. Okay. So I'm positive, but I can't go to the emergency room because my wife can't stay alone. <laughs> and so uh, I stayed there and, and about almost a week later, she tested positive. Okay. So um, she's a, a patient of the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, Florida, which is about two hours from where we live. And at that point, I had my other son take her directly to Mayo Clinic, okay? And she was admitted there. Um, and honestly, if I were defining uh, the, the, the low point of my year, the, the, the valley of the shadow of death was being at home in that short period, super high fever, my son in one hospital, my wife in another hospital, alone and just pleading with God not to take either one of them, you know. Um, that was a tough spot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, the way it worked out, um, actually, my wife Lynn avoided a lot of the serious symptoms. You know, the care at Mayo was incredible. Uh, they treated her with a convalescent plasma and remdesivir right away. And, and she actually did really well. Um, uh, I was sick, but I survived at home. <laughs> um, our son, Kyle, like I say, he was in the hospital for 20 days and lost 50 pounds um, and scared us, you know. And so I think... You know, people have asked me, like, <clears throat> what have you learned through this experience? And honestly, my answer typically is, I don't know. Why don't you come back in a year? Because I'm not sure that I'm even out of this yet completely, you know. But at the same time, it's good to sit and dwell in it and, uh, and just dwell on, you know, what have I been through? How am I a better pastor and human being for this? How am I a better follower of Jesus? because of what we've been through, because 
if I can't answer those questions, then what was the point kind of, you know? Um, but uh, I've got some real practical things that I've learned through this, you know? I've got, I've got some practical things that um, I would say uh, are gonna make me much better at caring for other people, you know? Um, so, like I say, uh, Lynn's doing good right now. I'm doing good right now. Our son Kyle is doing good right now. Praise the Lord, okay? Praise God for that. Um, and that's kind of where we are right now. Well, if we're ever a, a Job story, there it is, uh, friends, for you know, to share is, is very honored that you would let us kind of get a peek inside your journey for the last uh, 18 months or so and the journey of your family, uh, some here on this side of eternity and some now on the other side uh, of eternity. And in this COVID season, we've all had loss of one kind or another, loss of everything from just enjoyment to freedom to loss of employment to income to aspirations to life. You've experienced that all. You said you had some maybe practical reflections or insights. What do you yeah. care to share, Dave, with our audience, with me? Yeah, sure. Um, well, first of all, uh, you know, back to what you mentioned, like we, we changed the name of our church to Compassion a few years ago. And one of the things that, uh, that we talk about a lot is if you're going to call yourself Compassion, you better be pretty serious about it, right? And so we spent a lot of time teaching on, you know, what Compassion means how Jesus demonstrated it, um, you know, what it means to, to, be, to be compassion in action. But one of the real powerful things that I've learned through this is that compassion, you can teach about compassion all you want, about the power of that, but you don't really fully understand it until you're the recipient of it. Mm -hmm. you, and you begin to understand a little bit the power of a kind word, the power of a friendly phone call, you know, the power of a nurse who calls me to give me an update doesn't have to, just does it because she cares. You know, those kind of things are amazing, you know, and and so I'm the I'm the outreach, I'm the compassion pastor, right? I'm the one who's talking all the time, hey, get out there, get in the communities, make a difference. And and I've learned on a new level the power of that kind of stuff done in Jesus' name, you know. Another thing I think that I've learned is, um, I don't know if everybody will agree with this one or not, okay, but, um, you know, it's a really tough role. If you want to be empathetic to people who find themselves in tough times right now, it's a really tough role if you are the primary caregiver and the chief communicator. And what I mean by that is you're in the midst of it and people who love you and care about you are sending you messages and the messages are questions. The questions are usually, how are you? How is your wife? How is your son? How are things going, right? And I learned for how I will care for people in the future that those inquiries that show we care should be statements and not questions. They should be statements along the lines of, just want you to know I'm bathing you in prayer right now. Mm -hmm. Just want you to know we love you and your family. Um, you know, things like that that just say, I'm in this with you and I'm feeling it at whatever level I can from where I'm sitting. And we all know how hard it is in those tough times to say, because we, we, we think we're supposed to come up with the right words that are, 
the healing words. Well, they aren't words. They're just words of like, I'm there with you. Okay. And those kind of messages that came were powerful to me. And so just along those lines too, I think a third thing that I've learned, and I hope this helps somebody because it's, it's even tough to share, but it's like that night when I was sitting by myself and I didn't know if my son was going to live or die. My wife's in another state in the hospital and I'm pleading with God. But what I learned was that sometimes it's a lot easier to be totally confident <laughs> that he's got this. It's a lot easier to preach that from the pulpit than it is to believe it when you're sitting by yourself in the darkness. And I had to reconcile myself with that. I mean, uh, you mentioned this. I, I remember thinking, hey, I didn't sign up to be Job. I don't want anything to do with being the next Job. Please, Lord, okay? Please, let's don't go that way. Um, but I do remember just having a hard time. And, and, and so there was just that one night, and I'm struggling, and one of my best friends texted me, and he said something along those lines of, hey, man, I just want you to know that my wife and I are praying for you and your family right now. And then he said, God's got this. And I had said something that was hard, but it was just a tough time, and I said, well, you know, I haven't seen him for a while in this. And he could have quoted scripture to me. He could have told me to, you know, oh, ye of little faith. There's a lot of things he could have responded. And what he said was, I know, man, I know, I get it, but I'm here for you. And that's still, I mean, even just telling the story now, it's a powerful, powerful moment for me because it was like, it's okay to be human in this suffering, you know? And, and again, back to what I said in the beginning, I just think it's really going to help me to care for people who are, find themselves in the same situations, you know? Yeah. And here's the thing in the midst of that. And I remember thinking like, God, where are you in this? Like, <laughs> please. Like you took my mother and my brother and my cousin, although they all love the Lord and I know I will see them again. Please Lord, don't do this anymore. <laughs> you know? Where are you in this? And, and a couple days later, I found out that one of the pulmonologists, one of the doctors who was in practice with the guy who was caring for my son was a kid from, that was, he was a kid in a life group I was in in the 1990s with his parents. His parents were good friends of ours. And now he's grown up and he's a pulmonologist. And so I call him, I get his phone number. I find his phone number. I call him and I say, Hey, Kyle is in ICU. And he said, I'll go check on him. I'll go see what's happening. He went, he called my wife and I that evening and he spent about 20 minutes just patiently answering any questions we have because, you know, the unknown is what scares you. And, and at the end, he said, he said, Mr. Dave, <laughs> yeah, I, I coached him in Little League Baseball. He said, Mr. Dave, I just want you to know that I prayed with Kyle. I held his hand and I prayed with him. And he said, and I sang songs to him that my dad used to sing to me when I was hurting, when I was little. And as a parent, you can understand what that did for us in that moment. And when I hung up the phone, I really believed that God was just telling me, I'm still there. I've got this. 
I will use this kid from your life group 25 years ago, who's now a physician to comfort your son. And so I realized that, you know, one of the, one of the easiest tools Satan uses to cause fear in us as believers is when we begin to doubt whether God's even there with us, you know, or that he's distant. And so I refuse to accept that. And, you know, throughout scripture, you see it over and over again that God, you know, the word is fear not. And fear not is almost always followed with, I'm right here with you, you know, even to the great commission, right? Hey, I've got this amazing task for all of you, church. Go. But never doubt, I'm right there with you, even to the end of the age, right? That's the lesson I've kind of learned through this. Well, Dave Stewart, thank you for sharing your heart and letting us kind of see behind the veil. I can only think of the story again, your great admonition, not to be a question to people, but a statement that we are with you. It reminded me of the, of the story again in Job, but that his friends just came up to the pile and just sat. Presence. Presence. Don't come up with words. Don't come up with platitudes. Presence. People say all the time, we are not called human doings. We are called human beings. Just be. And that's what you were saying. That's yeah, what you meant. Exactly. Yeah. Well, any final words you want to, uh, our 20 minutes has gone quick. Any final <laughs> words you want to tell our audience in terms of the honor you have given me and to us to just hear your journey and the lessons you've learned have been well to hear for us. Anything else, good man? Uh, no, just, you know, just be encouraged. I think for anybody who hears this, I hope that we give ourselves permission to, to be human. <laughs> God understands that. He understands that completely. And, and to realize, I think far too many leaders in the church are hesitant to share anything like this because, well, we kind of know, we think we know what people are going to say. We think we know the correct responses, the right answers. And yet that shared humanness, that, that human being part, this gives us strength to endure in these tough times because, you know, one of the toughest things about the situation we find ourselves in now is it's not over, you know? Yeah. And so I think we need to give ourselves permission to be transparently human. Yeah. And eternally grateful that we don't have to walk this walk alone. You know, mm -hmm. God's promise is true. He's right there with us. Whether we see him in the moment or not. <laughs> right. Yeah. And even our brother, Jesus Christ himself in the spiritual sense said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He felt what you feel and say it's all right for the rest of us to feel as well. So Dave Stewart, thank you very much for all of you that have had the opportunity to listen. Dave, if you've been touched, I know I have, please continue to pray for their family, give thanksgiving for what has happened and is continuing to happen. Think of the church and its wonderful name down there and let us do the same in living compassion during these times where indeed people will see our faith greater than our fear. If this has touched you anyway, share it because it probably will touch somebody else on your social media channels. There's a podcast version of it as well. And so till next time, blessings, be compassionate out there. Let us be vulnerable with one another and may your faith today be greater than your fear. God bless you. Thank you, Dave. Thanks. Thanks, Mike.